and welcome back to the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important or divisive HR stories from over the last week. I'm Sophie Power, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR within a short podcast. So join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. Today, I'm joined again by Dan Cave, Head of Content at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. Welcome back, Dan. Pleasure to have you here again. How are you doing? I'm very good, Sophie. Uh, Thank you very much. And I'm really excited about today's podcast topic because it's one that's been causing much consternation in the national media. So I'm sure we'll have an exciting take on it for all of our listeners. Yeah, well, it's always good when you get someone back on the podcast series that is very excited to be here. So um, as Dan said, the topic for this week's podcast is going to be essentially what the HR function should and needs to know in the event of a second lockdown. Obviously, back in March, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson imposed a strict nationwide lockdown in response to the coronavirus pandemic. And at the time, a lot of employers were quite unprepared for this quite staggering change. This meant that businesses considered to be non-essential had to temporarily shut up shop and employees were told to work from home where possible. Soon after this, uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak provided a lifeline to businesses and employees in the form of the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme, more commonly known as furlough, which essentially intended to help people you know, stay within jobs and to prevent mass unemployment during this period. Of course, anyone following the news will know that a lot has changed since then. Um, and Boris recently said that from the 1st of August, employers would have greater discretion over when staff could return to work. Of course, ensuring that all of the relevant policies and measures were put in place. And while many HR leaders will be or have been doing for some time, um, turning their attention to back to work plans and ensuring that physical workspaces are COVID secure, it's also crucial that on their radar is essentially how they would tackle another lockdown if one were to arise as well. Last month, Leicester was the first city in Britain to be placed into a local lockdown following a surge of coronavirus figures in the city. And this meant that once again, non-essential shops and schools closed. Since then, other areas, particularly in the north of England, have faced similar restrictions. With more areas seemingly going into localised lockdowns, it's definitely something that HR departments should be prepared to deal with. So in today's episode, we're essentially going to talk about the potential challenges that the HR function may face and how to approach them. And as I mentioned before, with the government's job retention scheme set to close in October this year, this could be one consideration for HR and employers, couldn't it, Dan? Yes. So with localised lockdowns, I think one... There are lots of things, obviously, for employers to consider. But one crucial thing is the fact that furlough in its current form, say there was to be a localised lockdown at the end of the year, wouldn't exist. So for employers that have to have employees coming to a central place of work, whether that is a non-essential shop, as you mentioned earlier, or a factory, um, you know, a manual workplace, employees won't be able to come in. Therefore, will they be able to get paid? Will the business be able to get money through in its coffers to pay them, especially small businesses? It's a massive consideration. So there's a few there's a few thing, ways of thinking about this. I think what lockdown has shown, uh, especially towards the start of the year when it first became a thing, is that there's two new categories of, it, of employer, those who can work remotely and those who can't because of that centralised workplace, as I've just said. So were localised lockdowns to come in again, there are some things that will affect both categories of worker. 
and some things that only those who have to go into essential workplace will have to consider. Um, as I've just said, will furlough exist? What will happen to those employees and their pay packets if they if they literally aren't doing work? So things that will affect both of those groups, of course, and this is exists, you know, regardless of where furlough exists or not, if there's a localised lockdown, there are things such as mental stress, physical stress, how confinement impacts on work, childcare, which we'll get to later, all these different stresses, which a lot of the country went through at the beginning of the year, they'll come back in a big fashion. So employers, especially if they're large employers that have people in different places, will have to show a special focus to workers in those certain places, whether it is lockdown or not. However, remote workers that are able to do their job remotely, in theory, as long as the wider business isn't experiencing financial precarity, can carry on working, can carry on earning as usual. It is, as I, as I started off this segment, saying it's a special consideration for firms that have to have their workers come into a central place. If they're locked down, is it that they're not producing goods, not selling goods, therefore they've got no money coming in? Do they then have to let, let workers go? Can they pay their workers? Have they got money to survive as a business? These are all some massive issues. But there are, I was about to say, for instance, there are, there are some things that can fix this. There are some things that fix this. So if you're, if you're a, a big company, perhaps you can take some of the things that are happening in a certain part of the country. Say you've got your factory in Leicester, but you've got another one in Leeds. Say one of those is locked down. You could take your manufacturing to a different place. If it's some other task, you can do the same kind of thing. Also, you might want to consider the long game. If, if the localised lockdown is, say, only for a couple of weeks, could you afford as a company to pay staff to stay at home for that period if they do have to come in, usually have to come into a central place of work? And the consideration there is that not only are you looking at your staff and saying, actually, stay home, stay safe, we'll look after you financially. That would do wonders for their engagement. But not only that, it does wonders for your, for your brand and your ability to attract talent in the future. So there's obviously the need should it arise to deal with the here and now of a localised lockdown. But of course, HR has to keep its strategic hat on and think of the long game. I would caveat all of this with a lot of top politicians and some big think tanks at the moment. Uh, Andy Burnham, Mayor of Manchester, comes to mind and Autonomy, who look at the future of work, how modern work affects everyone. They're actually calling for localised or industry specific furlough schemes. So I know that is actually on the agenda of discussion at the moment, whether it comes to be or not. Is a, is a different thing entirely. But say that doesn't come to be, say that you're a company that can't afford to pay its staff should there be a localised lockdown. There are some particularly more difficult things to consider, such as dropping staff's contracts to a three or four day week, salary reductions, uh, removal of holidays or certain benefits. Obviously, this would require consent from employees and, and their HR would have to be leading the conversation in terms of emphasising advantages disadvantages, the fairness of all these implementations, should they be considered. It could also consider asking employees to agree to temporary layoffs or a short time not working without pay, allowing them to retain employees in the, in the medium term, I guess that would be. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things to consider there. And a lot of this conversation is ongoing. And it's, I guess, the responsibility lies with HR to be aware of all these different choices, aware of what its workforce is and how it would be affected. Say a localised lockdown came in as it stands at the moment without a furlough scheme. So yeah, that, that is a lot, isn't it? So I know you wanted to explore what if people live in different areas where their place of work is, or if um, work split over, say, a countrywide locale. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a consideration for a, a lot of people, I imagine. And um, particularly, for example, like Dan says, if an organisation has multiple sites or branches, some of which may be experiencing a second lockdown and others which aren't, this is definitely another potential area for the HR department to watch out for. And there are many questions regarding whether employers can reassign staff impacted by local lockdowns to other areas. So to kind of find out a bit more before the podcast, I spoke to Kirsty Rogers, who is an employment partner at the multinational law firm DWF, who said that primarily employers should try to facilitate homeworking where that is possible. But of course, as Dan said, some organisations need to operate from, from a central premises, so this may not be possible. So in that instance, she explained to me, employers may be able to restructure temporarily to try and continue operations safely during any local lockdown. If employers wish to do this, it will be important to communicate and engage with the workforce. Um, in addition to this, Kirsty also said that employers will need to look over contracts of employment to see if there are any mobility clauses that could help facilitate these more flexible arrangements. She also said, where there are no such clauses, employers will need to seek arrangement to the change in terms and conditions. Employers should consult with trade unions and employee representatives where appropriate. Um, aside from this, she also issued a word of warning to employers if and when employees are impacted due to local lockdowns, particularly if they have got caring responsibilities or are within a vulnerable group. And she explained to me that there could be the potential for discrimination claims where impacted individuals are directed to return to work when they are more at risk if they do so. I think one of one of the biggest points raised there is that everyone kind of has different uh, situations. And one which I imagine a lot of people have struggled with uh, during the period of lockdown is childcare. Dan, you've got some more points on childcare arrangements. Should there be a second lockdown? I do indeed. So, so actually, I think it was a really poignant point uh, to use some iteration there when you talked about the caring responsibilities of certain groups. So if there is a localised lockdown or a second widespread lockdown, or even there are still conversations ongoing as to whether schools will even open, in September or not. How does this impact on employees with childcare responsibilities or even caring responsibilities if they're doing that in one place? And, and there are other concerns as well about, say there is a localised lockdown, employees that live in cramped living conditions that aren't suitable for work or shared houses. What, what, what pressure does this put on their time and on their well-being, and then I guess on their productivity and quality of work? So Obviously, a localised lockdown would cause extra pressures on employees. I spoke to Avril England at Ailey Legal, and she said it was really obvious during the first widespread nationalised lockdown was the ability of the employees to continue working well whilst also providing childcare at home, given the closure of schools and nurseries. So taking some learning from that, she said, if there is a localised lockdown, especially if you're a large employer, if you've got multiple sites around the country, perhaps consider a plan which will enable yourself to redistribute work from an employee maybe locked down in a certain area to employees outside of the local lockdowns. So if you've got a big workforce, probably cut some slack for your um, employees maybe in lockdown, lighten their load if you're able to do that. Obviously, working arrangements for all employers will be different. So smaller employers might not be able to do that, but they should definitely be bearing in mind and it's not just those with childcare responsibilities either. Whilst a lot of employers were very good at quickly sorting out the right equipment, 
or, you know, some indeed as extra money to buy equipment at the start of the first lockdown, make sure that you still understand the current living and working situation of all staff. HR is really, really good these days at doing pull surveys and communicating with its workforce about their well-being, about their engagement. Do some of those again if you get into a lockdown. Make sure there's some qualitative answers, a chance for people to describe their situation. That will allow you to personalise a response to those that are going through a potential lockdown. So communicate there, make sure you understand what they have. And then obviously, so there is the need to fill practical and legal obligations to your workforce as well, isn't that? Yep, absolutely. And I think really one of one of the next points is around kind of health and safety and how much of a key consideration that is for employers and HR. So before the podcast, I spoke to Gareth Dando, who is a partner and employment law solicitor at Ramsden Solicitors, who essentially said that Employers obviously have a legal duty of care to ensure the health, safety and well-being of their staff members as far as is reasonably practical. And obviously this this is regardless of, the, you know, the current COVID-19 crisis. So with that in mind, to ensure that employers are fulfilling their obligation, Gareth has kindly shared some following takeaways with me, which include actively taking steps to follow government guidance at the relevant time. Essentially, employers will need to do everything they can to stay up to date with any changes and amend any relevant procedures and policies as necessary. He also mentioned about carrying out risk assessments, obviously, before bringing employees back to work and then setting up and implementing a safe system of work, which will be informed by the risk assessment that has already taken place. Another one, putting in relevant policies and procedures, which clearly set out what is required of the employees and consulting with staff members on health and safety guidelines. And finally, really enforcing policies and and ensuring that employees comply with these policies that have been put in place. Essentially, he said that the need to use the guidance that I've just read out will be heightened in the event of a second spike and localised lockdown. There are obviously lots of key takeaways from the the first lockdown, and hopefully that will help HR departments and employers prepare in terms of setting out plans and policies in the event that a, a second lockdown does come into place. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. HR Great Vibe wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content. Whether that's our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market-leading research papers. So to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit www.hrgreatvine.com.